You've read the books. You've learned the rules. You've played the games. And so is your mom. Just making sure you're paying attention. Now, it's time for something completely off base. From the same guys who haven't done anything exciting yet are the Paladins of Podcast, Rob and Potato. Listen in as they talk about all things related to pen and paper games, challenge rules, and go off script. This is the high fantasy commentary you didn't ask for, but your mom did. (laughs) This is the Epic Table Audio Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Epic Table Games Audio Show. Your paladins of podcast, Rob and Potato. What's How up, you Rob? Doing, man? <laughs> Not too much, dude. I uh, I guess we're both recovering a little bit from the sickness. So yeah, this episode, COVID finally got us, huh? Yeah, second time for me actually. I uh, I first got it in 2020. So fun, fun. Oh, so, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. We're not really a. Uh, a health professional based uh, podcast and today we're doing it newly we're actually doing it remotely so we can recover and try to put in as much as possible to this episode yeah yeah it's a little different not being able to see each other but we'll make this happen well you know you show up in my nightmare so it's okay <laughs> don't <laughs> flatter me oh man you know what i won't so <laughs> <laughs> uh I've I've been looking around a little bit about some of the things that people have been talking about on the internets, and I've read a few more horror stories. And there's there's a lot of negative things right now that are that are floating around, and it's a little ridiculous. Before I jumped into all of that, I wanted to actually catch you off guard a little bit with something unrelated to D and D. Uh, tabletop RPGs in general, actually. Oh yeah, what's and that? I want, uh, so you're familiar with James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, right? Yeah. So John Cena played the Peacemaker. Did you you heard that he was getting his own TV show? Yeah, it's on uh, what uh, Amazon or something? HBO. HBO. Yes. Uh, you haven't had the opportunity to watch it yet, have you? No, no, I haven't had an opportunity to watch anything new in the last year or so. Dude, next to Cobra Kai, it is my favorite TV show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you have an opportunity to do so, I want you to YouTube the intro. To the, the, the intro? Uh, to the show, yeah. And the yeah, show is called Peacemaker? All right, I'm definitely going to look it up. <laughs> All right, I, I shit you not, bro. I watch the intro to the show every time, and I'm notorious for skipping the intros. <laughs> so, it's that good? It's There's something about it that it, it's just the right kind of ridiculousness that, that I enjoy. And John Cena is great at playing Peacemaker. Um, it's just as fun as he was in the uh, the movie. And it's really enjoyable. Man, I can't wait to watch it. I gotta watch the movie first. (laughs) You still haven't seen seen that? No. Oh, come on, man. Like I said, in the last year, I haven't seen like anything new. I haven't watched any new movies. I think the last movie I watched was maybe Black Widow. 
Okay, that one wasn't so bad. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it. I, I enjoyed it. I thought that uh, it was decently done. It wasn't my favorite Marvel film, but I enjoyed it. Uh, well, you know what? Scratch it, that. I also watched uh, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. I watched that as well. That one was actually pretty good. Yeah, I like that one. In fact, uh, I think that we've mentioned that I'm a huge DBZ fan, and I liked all the call-outs to, yeah. uh, to Dragon Ball Z. And my favorite subtle one was the fact that uh, his jacket was very reminiscent of a Dragon Ball Z-inspired Letterman jacket. Same colors, uh, the orange and blue, big yeah. Goku vibes. That's cool. Yeah, I really like that. I, I feel they um, had the same directors making a good DBZ movie. They can actually do some good work with it. I think think if they were to make good I really really hard <laughs> so all right anyway let's uh let's get back into this a little bit more um looking up uh somebody's looking for some help with a pathfinder first edition build and uh you know they're talking about how it's the first time playing first edition pathfinder and their character died uh it sucks but it happens um they didn't really have a build going they're still trying to understand the game so you know, in my particular flavor, I like to start people off with melee because it's simple and you bridge into more complex things as you go on. Oh, exactly. Um, so they're looking for a kind of character that still has uh, enough AC and ability to do some damage. So we're looking at kind of right there that already puts us in the melee. Um, what would you say if you're looking at a melee character? What's kind of the first thing that you do? Do you do you look at the aggro? Do you look at the ability to tank? Uh, just deal damage. What's your primary focus in your uh, in your melee builds? Usually, it's damage dealing. That's usually damage. what I like to go for when it comes to martial uh, people. I can agree with that, especially because in my philosophy, you know, your opponent can't hurt you if they're dead, so you might as well <laughs> deal as much damage as possible. That's right. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, as uh, as I start to branch out as well, which is funny, I, I say branch out as though I uh, I strictly stick to melee characters. Um, that philosophy still follows through in a lot of the characters that I still continue to build. It's not just melee, you know, damage casters. Right. Even even illusionists which you've seen uh, one of my test builds uh, for a session. If my philosophy on, on a magic caster is that if I can't pass the DC, they're probably powerful enough. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When it comes to the magic casters, the DC is what makes them work. I agree with that a hundred percent. So as I'm reading through on Reddit here, they're talking about how, how, um, the way to go, you can bump up your AC. One of them says push for a fourth level paladin. Um, and that's not a bad choice. Your paladin's a heavy armored uh, attack vehicle with your smite and evil creatures. You really have an opportunity to deal a lot of damage. That's true. Now, one thing I'd, I'd like to talk about smite is something not a lot of people remember. Um, in first edition Pathfinder, when you smite, your character, your opponent, uh, if it's successful, smite is a continuous effect until you smite another creature 
or the creature you had originally smote has died. Really? So that means every turn they still get smited on? Yes. So you do not have to continuously use expenditures of smite. You know, that's actually that's actually a big deal, because I didn't even know that myself. Yes. And it's one of those things where people will look at it and be like, well, I've got the ability to smite three times a day when I'm just a young paladin. But truthfully, that smite carries a lot of weight, and it's a continuous weight that it carries. Um, it's it's really, when you think about it, the biggest draw to the Paladin when you play it correctly that way. Right, that's really cool. Yeah, and it's it's an issue that I think a lot of people don't actually, actually look at. Um, it's... In fact, looking at Smite Evil right here, for Pathfinder specifically, once per day, a paladin can call out to the powers of good to aid her in her struggle against evil as a swift action. So that means that it doesn't happen, it does not exactly have to happen at the start or end of your turn. You can just choose this uh, for one target within sight to smite. If the target is evil, you add your charisma bonus to your attack roll and your paladin level to all damage rolls. So that's really important right there because it continues to scale as you level. Oh, heck yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, if the target of smite is an outsider with the evil subtype, an evil aligned dragon or an undead creature, the bonus to the damage on the first successful attack increases to two points of damage per level for every level the paladin possesses, regardless of the target smite evil attacks automatically bypass DR. Um, so that's, that's the general basis. And that sounds what everybody's familiar with. Now, Here's the last paragraph everybody in Pathfinder just forgets. The smite evil effect remains until the target of the smite is dead or the next time the paladin rests and regains the use of this ability. At fourth level and every three levels thereafter, the paladin may spite, smite evil one additional time per day, as indicated on table paladin, to a maximum of seven times per day at 19th level. Wow, so... Let's say you're at max, so you got seven uses of smite. You can smite mm -hmm. seven different characters, seven different enemies, I mean, and they'll just continue to have that on them until they die. Yes, or until you rest. That's that's actually pretty cool. I'm pretty it sure is. how everyone else uses it, it's the one attack and that's it. Right, right. Wow, they, they that use changes it. the game. It does, and a lot of people use it as kind of like their... Uh, this I only have a one opportunity to do this, so I don't want to waste it. Truthfully, I was meant to smite and continue doing damage. Right. Well, that's really crucial. It makes me want to make a paladin now, knowing that the smite is much more useful. <laughs> it's it's way more useful. Wow. Um, yeah. So to kind of help answer these uh, questions, I think if. It really depends on the type of campaign you're playing for this guy here. He doesn't tell us much about the game. Um, right. If you're not built toward uh, fighting creatures that Smite would be useful for, there's no point playing as a paladin. Right. And, I mean, you're you're looking at anything evil, and I think there's a way to go with <laughs> a paladin that can Smite more neutral-based characters. But... There are sacrifices in a lot of different areas when you go that route. And if you right. play 
if you play in a game where you're not doing a whole lot of fighting evil, but fighting magical beasts or neutral creatures, etc. Yeah, that smite's not going to do you a whole lot of good. Yep, yep. I, I think the biggest weakness to a paladin is fighting a neutral monster who is your opponent. <laughs> right, right. Because when you when you're doing that, you're really capping off the ability to uh, use smite. Now, exactly. I think as as I'm running some of these ideas through my head, I mean, I think the one that really pops out is the fact that it looks like level four is where he he kind of plateaus for right now and my thought is if you have a barbarian with rage one of your biggest thing is is that you can't use your uh your wisdom or intelligence checks or whatever um or actually i think it's you can't use charisma based checks when you're raging um yeah i think it's charisma yeah you're not really i'll say manageable when <laughs> you are raging But if no, a barbarian cannot use any charisma, dexterity, or intelligence. Oh, really? All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Which is which is funny because, I mean, I don't understand dexterity. You can't use dexterity-based checks. But yeah, like acrobatics. A, right. In a fit of rage, you don't think you would. I mean, I'm not saying he'd be more dexterous. I just wouldn't penalize them for. So angry, you can't do backflip off the table. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right. You would just charge through the table. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I would look at the idea of potentially stacking things like using uh, the variant leveling ability, if possible. And that's where you can, it's not like Gestalt, but when you level up every other level, you get the other class's primary ability. Right, right. Or finding a way to play something like a, a lawful barbarian so I could stack the barbarian's rage ability with the paladin's smite ability and try to wiggle in the rogue's sneak attack ability if I could. Ooh, all right. So try, trying to merge a rogue sneak attack with barbarian's rage and paladin's smite, that's a whole heap of damage. Right, so I That'd mean, brutal. Really, absolutely. And the downside is that once you get into multi-classing, you're essentially weakening each individual class because yeah. because you can't constantly always take those um, those level abilities um, as much as you want. So if you need, let's say, six levels in rogue for a certain ability, but you've got three levels stacked somewhere else and another level stacked somewhere else you're four and you're, you just don't have those specific levels needed um multi-classic right. has its place but yeah i i feel if you're gonna go into the realm of triple classing you're gonna need some kind of variant class rule set or uh gestalt rule set or some kind of marriage in between those to make it worth yeah. your while yeah, it's it's definitely possible. I mean, there's a difference between taking a level dip and actually multi-classing into multiple uh, classes. Yes. And I mean, tr when you take a level dip, you're just looking for whatever you get at level one, you know? Or level two, if anything. Right. So it's it's nothing major. Um, I don't think I told you, 
but I placed an order off of Amazon the last day or so, and I'm picking up two new tabletop RPGs. Oh, heck yeah. What'd you get in? Well, I've got uh, Evil Hat Productions Blades in the Dark coming. We talked about that one briefly. Yes. It's a it's more of a classless system. And I've got Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Ooh. That, that sounds more like a book than a TRPG, but I'm interested. That uh, one you're not as familiar with, but the uh it's let's see looking for the right description here God, man it's it goes right into reviews and i can tell you about a little bit of what they're talking about here too um hold on let me let me bring up another page for this because it's not it's not a newer system it it is and it's not i guess um it's 20 bucks, and here's the synopsis. Here we go. Beyond the veil of manipulating politicians, greedy merchants, iron-handed clergy, and the broken masses that toil for their benefits, echoes of the other realms call to those bold enough and desperate enough to escape the oppression of mundane life. Treasure and glory await those courageous enough to arrest it from the darkness. But the danger is great. For lurking in the forgotten shadows are forces far stranger and more perilous than uh, even civilization. The price of freedom might be paid in souls. Weird fantasy role-playing presents a sinister and horrific twist on traditional fantasy gaming. Simple enough for beginner, yet meaty enough for the veteran, this game will make all of your worst nightmares come true. This book is a revision of the rules and magic book originally found in the Limitations of the Flame Princess Weird Fantasy Role-Playing box set. It contains all the rules needed to play the game. Interesting. Sounds more political. Um, sounds much more grim in a sense as well. Like everything feels harder, more realistic. I'm down for it. Yeah, a little bit. And uh, the top review, which was written in uh, on December 31st of 2016, says uh, this RPG gaming system has become my favorite. I still love AD&D first edition and Call of Cthulhu. But this system combines both of what I love about both of those. The book's a little smaller than I thought it would be, but the artwork is beautiful. It's written for adults 18 years or older. While he still plays A&D&D and Call of Cthulhu, here's a quote that he's taken from Lamentations of the Flame Princess website that shows that you can use this RPG gaming system with a lot of different gaming systems. It says, rules-wise, this belongs to the old-school Renaissance family of games that uses the open game license to recreate game rules of the late 70s and early 80s. With this particular twisting of those rules flattening out of the power level a bit and emphasizing a more horrific and go for the throat attitude. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And I mean it was like I said, it was about twenty bucks, so I figured I'd give it a I'd pick it up, give it a try, see how it worked. Um, read it, review it on our website at Epic Game Epic Table Games, and see what we could do with it. And even if it doesn't fall into something we try soon it feels like it's going to be something that we can at least use to flavor up some of our existing games. Right. We can use that as a simple if game. Absolutely agree. And I'm really excited to get it. I'll get it in about a week or so. Um, it's still on its way. I just, just ran the order through on the 20th. So yesterday, um, 
and truthfully the the evil hat productions blades in the dark that's one of the ones i'm really looking forward to it's supposed to be here today i'll get it tomorrow or monday all right well that's usually how it goes comes to shipping good old yeah. amazon yeah that's for sure now there's there's another game that i heard of that i really want to try and it sounds ridiculous i don't remember if we've mentioned it at all um let me see if I, there it is did i talk to you about uh it's another evil hat game actually thirsty sword lesbians <laughs> what uh so the game is called thirsty sword <laughs> lesbians and i know that our table has played very inclusively we don't mind any gender that sits at the table and we don't mind any orientation of player that is uh, presented as a character but this one really tries to bring back a way more um, inclusive game, I would have to say, just based on the synopsis. And this one is uh, Thirsty Sword <laughs> Lesbians, Battle of the Lady of Chains, when her enforcers march down from the frosty north. They rocket through the stars to safeguard diplomats, ending a generation-old conflict. And even when swords are crossed, they seek peace with their opponent and sometimes connect more deeply than anyone expects. Um, a sword duel can end in kissing. A witch can gain her power by helping others find love, and an entire campaign can be built around wandering matchmakers flying from system to system. This... Thirsty sword lesbians. <laughs> it sounds it sounds good. It sounds well written out and everything. Thirsty sword lesbians is a role playing game for telling queer stories with friends. If you love angsty disaster lesbians with swords, you've come to the right place. <laughs> in this book, you'll find flirting sword fighters. Uh, sword fighting and zingers in a system designed for both narrative drama and player safety. An innovative family, which is what Blades in the Dark was as well. Nine character types, each focusing on particular emotional conflict. Um, guidance and support for running the game. Tools to create your own settings and stories. And the build, the world building worksheets, etc. Wow. Yeah. And it's, on, it's really... Yeah, it's it sounds absolutely riotous to play. And I know that's how they presented it. And it's one of those systems where they have tried to, like I said, develop an inclusive system from a group of people who are largely unincluded uh, when it comes to tabletop RPGs. You know, th this kind of game um, reminds me of a tabletop RPG that I stumbled on a while back, maybe, gosh, I think it was like two years ago. Completely forgot about it until you brought it up. So I quickly searched for it. It's called Monster Hearts. Monster so, Hearts. Yeah, Monster Hearts. Role-playing game about the messy lives of teenage monsters developed from Apocalypse World. It is known okay. for its handling of sexuality and LGBT content. And has been nominated at, or shortlisted for five awards. So it's a very well viewed game. Yeah, that sounds like it. And to my to my memory memory of this game, it was like you pick a vampire or a werewolf or all these other like monstrous kind of races. And the settings usually of you know a high school situation. You're all high school students and whatnot. Okay. And you you roll to uh 
I can't remember. Uh, you, you you roll to warm someone up in an intimate way, or you roll to cool someone down in like a very harsh way, very like I don't know. Uh, uh, what what what's that? A hallmark? Yeah, it's kind of like a hallmark movie kind of drama situation uh, okay. where you're all like role playing and using dice to do the odds and. It seems pretty interesting. Not not as interesting as the as the lesbian game, though. I want to play that one instead. <laughs> it's the way they have it written out is incredibly uh, fun sounding, and the name itself is absolutely captivating. Um, now, I know that we we don't talk too much about any sort of political climate here on the Epic Table Audio Show, and that's intentional. We do that so. You know, we can remain middle of the road. We're very neutral. But in both of them, we're actually uh, pretty inclusive of everybody. We're very accepting, etc. Um, the Thirsty Sword Lesbians is is a game that I'd like to find people who want to break into the tabletop game arena and feel like it's a safe space and play something that's a little over the top and tongue in cheek, you know? Right, right. Especially if everyone is agreed upon that this is all, you know, for the fun of the game. Cause I've seen and heard so many stories of someone being like, I don't know, uh verbally assaulted or, you know, had someone being all creepy to someone else. You don't want that right. kind of environment when you're playing a tabletop RPG. A game right. like this allows you that environment to where you can have fun with these concepts, not to worry about being a creepy, cringy kind of per- person. Right, and while while still being tongue in cheek, it's still sensitive to the uh, the subject matter without making fun of it, and that's really important because I, like I said, I've read a lot of horror stories in the RPG horror story subreddit. And yes. some of them were included in the fact that uh, players would play characters that were opposite gender than they were, or yeah. play uh, homosexual characters, or, or even the players themselves homosexual, and they were ostracized or made fun of, or things were just incredibly difficult for them because of these choices for in-game characters or how their lifestyle was outside a game. And truthfully, it's bullshit when you look at it. And it is. Um, anybody who makes a tabletop RPG less inclusive and more of an elitist opinion and really alienates other players aren't doing a good service to the hobby. Exactly, exactly. So that's, yeah, it's, that's one of those things that. Um, I, I would like to play the game with people who are specifically looking for something over the top, tongue in cheek, where they're comfortable being who they are, and this game celebrates them for it. So, um, yeah, I'm all for that. I think it sounds really cool. Um, ooh, I, I finally found the the moves and statistics for uh, Monster Hearts. Want me to explain it a bit better for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's get the big points down. Uh-huh. So the the statistics in Monster Hearts are hot, cold, volatile, and dark. Hot 
can be used to turn someone on, manipulate an NPC. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. So you you, you turn you, you turn someone on. That's how you can manipulate NPC. Sorry, the the wording was messed up in that beginning part there. Uh, cold you use to shut someone down or to keep one's nerves. Okay. okay. Sorry. They they let they left this one part out. There's another component called nerve. They left that part out. Let's see. Uh, volatile. You lash out physically, or you run away, and that'd be something that NPC would do. So if you're like a vampire and you're trying to, you know, get the blood from this one guy or whatever, he runs away. Then it's like, oh no, everyone knows now. The jig is yep. up. Okay. Um, and dark is used like an ability is called gaze into the abyss for most skin specific magical functions. It's funny how they worded it that way in here because I know in the game itself it's very specific what you do with your skin with those abilities. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a very intriguing game. It, from what I remembered uh, when I was looking up before that it's a game that allows you to play uh, like Vampire Diaries or True Blood, you know, those kind of vampire werewolf kind of shows with the, the mm-hmm. teenage drama. I think you can have a lot of fun with that too with like-minded players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it sounds interesting. I'd definitely like to give it a try. Um, I really been into a about looking into new games lately and it started when I was when we started talking about looking for a more heavily Norse themed game. Yes. So Which that's what did it, huh? Yeah. So uh, I've been trying to write a review about Cobalt Press's Midgard on our website for like the last two and a half weeks. And it's it's really hard to write reviews that I, I'm interested in because if I don't want to write something I wouldn't want to read. Um, right. But I, I don't want to just leave something at six sentences either. But oh, uh, I hear you. I, so it's got me looking into other. Um, sorry, other other RPG systems as well. And I've come across two or three more that look interesting. And one of them is Morkborg. Which is a it's a doom metal album of a game. That sounds awesome. This is how it's described: a doom metal album of a game, spiked flail to the face, light on rules, heavy on everything else. Morkborg is a pitch black apocalyptic fantasy RPG about lost souls and fools seeking redemption, forgiveness. Than the, which one are you? The tomb robber with the silver glittering between cracked fingernails? The mystic who would bend the world's heart away from its inve- inevitable end? Confront power-draining necromancers, skulking skeletal warriors, and backstabbing wickheads. Wander the valley of the unfortunate undead, the catacombs beneath the Bergen crypt, and the beloved uh, Sarkash forest, but leave hope behind. The world's cruel fate is sealed, and all your vain heroic efforts are destined to end in death and dismay. Or are they? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mork Borg? Yeah, yeah. By Free League Publishing. And... Looking up, they actually have some games coming out later this year. Uh, the One Ring, based off of uh, the Tolkien verse and the Ooh. Hobbit series. Yeah, 
Um, the that's one that, ring. Right? That's something they got going on. They have, uh, they got Blade Runner coming out later this year. Oh, heck yeah. I'll, I'll dip into that. Ooh, right. I want to play the Cyberpunk game too. Mm. That looks like it'd be fun. Uh, they got the, I got, came across Vacine. Uh, Vacent? Ve- Maybe it's Vacent. Um, and Vaisen I have in my list of things to purchase later, but this is Nordic horror. Really, man, the really? way 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 it sounded both ways you pronounced it, it made me think of more like Arabian. That's interesting. That's, that's Nordic. It has to have been how I said it. It must be Vaisen. Uh, it says, "In dark forests beyond the mountains, by black lakes and hidden groves, at your doorstep, in the shadows, something stirs." Something be strange beings, twisted creatures lurking at the edge of vision, watching, waiting, unseen by most, but not by you. You see them for what they really are. The Vaisen, the Vaisen. Welcome to the mythic North, uh, Northern European of the 19th century, but not as we know it today. A land where the myths are real, a cold reach covered by vast forests, its few cities, lonely beacons of industrial and industry and enlightenment. A new civilization dawning, but in the countryside, the old ways still hold sway. There, people know what lurks in the dark, and they know to fear it. Vesen, the Nordic horror role-playing game, is based on the work of Swedish illustrator and author Johan Erdkrans. Vesen presents a dark gothic setting steeped in Nordic folklore and myths of Scandinavia. The game mechanics use an adapted version of the award-winning Year Zero engine. Interesting. The the beginning yeah. of the description sounded so so bad trance the rest of the way. That was it, really cool. It it does sound cool. Um on freeleaguepublishing.com you can see some of their artwork for it. And I guess even the artwork is really cool. Um it looks like something you would see in some very stylized board games um or illustrated books. I really like the way it, it looks and uh Again, that was because I was searching for more Norse themes in a game, and this one was Nordic horror. I was like, shit, yeah, let's give that a try. Yeah, I'm down for that. And that's the thing. I want to know how effective a horror-based RPG or even like an adventure or a theme would actually work at the table. I know we talked about this before, but I want to actually explore that space and try to figure out how to make that happen and see how... The emotions feel and whatnot. Yeah. It'd be super yeah, cool. Because I, I think so. And one of the things about playing a horror-based game is that everybody kind of has to prescribe to the same level of suspension of belief. And they have to all agree that, yes, they're going for more of a dark horror-style game. Yeah, um, you got to imagine everything in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Right now, I actually think that Free League Publishing is one of my more favorite publishers because of what they have going on. Uh, they have that—they're the Call of Cthulhu game people. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Those are good oh. guys. Yeah, yeah, and it's—it's it's incredible. A lot, a lot of their artwork is really good. They got other ones I'm interested in too, like Forbidden Lands, Tales from the Loop, Mutant Year Zero looks really cool. Um that's kind of playing at the edge of edge of the apocalypse right there. Um, Didn't wasn't that also a video game mutant year zero I think It was a uh, video it game have, as well. It might've been, I don't, I don't remember. 
Um, one of those games that was hyped until it launched, then it became quiet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's possible. Uh, there's there's a really weird one too that I want to try. Are you ready What's for up? this? Give it to All me. Right, this one is it's not as exciting as some of the other ones that I've talked about. Uh, it's called Kids on Bikes. <laughs> Kids on Bikes sounds yep. like we're playing Paperboy now. Uh, so it's described as a collect. I'm sorry, a collaborative storytelling RPG set in small towns with big adventures. The door to the old house creaks open, the rust on the hinges groaning as you see dust floating like spores in the air inside. By the faint light of your cheap flashlights, you see the stairs to the upper floor, its railings gnarled and broken like crooked teeth. Their curve makes the stairs seem almost like a hungry grin, and you wonder if their, if their age will support your weight. Still, you must go in. The only question is, who will go first? And so... It continues on. It says, uh, this is a choose your own destiny in the storytelling rules, light tabletop role playing game where adventure is only a bike right away. Will you play as a school janitor and science nerd crew members of the cheer squad and the head cheerleaders, little brother, a ragamuffin crew of scrawny nerd kids, the popular girl, her boyfriend and the town sheriff. No matter who <laughs> you are in kids on bikes, you can expect to work together. So, so so they make it sound like the janitor and the town sheriff are like classes, like that's uh, something you get to play as. It doesn't quite say exactly how it works. It just says that in kids on bikes, you'll take on the roles of everyday people grappling with strange, terrifying and very, very powerful forces that they cannot defeat, control or even fully understand. So the only way to face them is to work together, use your strengths and know when you just have to run as fast as you can. That's super cool. It, it, it's like. It's like Stranger Things or It. Yeah. Kind of gives that vibe. And if I had the choice, I'm definitely playing as a janitor. Because, I mean, why not? It's super, that's super cool. <laughs> right. Now, here is something in the description that I thought was really interesting. Are you ready? Give it to me. All right. Kids on Bikes also features a character co-controlled by all of the players at the table. Using aspects of the what? character from the GM, players will share narrative control over what this character does and when they use their mysterious and dangerous powers. Whoa, that's a that's a turn on the head there. Wow. Yeah, I thought that was really neat and it's something I want to look into more. I definitely want to explore that. That sounds very interesting. Absolutely. And I mean again, Kids on Bikes 20 bucks on Amazon. Uh, a lot of these systems that aren't published by Paizo or Wizards of the Coast are uh, rather affordable. Um, I say that not mentioning the fact that for the last four weeks or so, the Midgard World Book was $115. Ooh. Yeah, it dropped to $85. But, wow, that's, that's, but, that's a pretty big penny. Absolutely. And... A lot of these games, I mean, dude, they just, they sound so much fun. And I want to play so many of them. Yeah, we, we got to find the time to give these games a good, a good review, good play test. And who knows, maybe we can make it into uh, a routine and keep playing one of them like kids on bikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, that dude, I just fun. came I just came across another one that seems to be right up my alley. Shadow of the Demon Lord. 
Released Shadow November 1st, 2015. Enter a horrific world of dark, apocalyptic fantasy. Shadow the Demon Lord is a horror fantasy tabletop role-playing game that gives you and your friends everything you need to experience the last days of a dying world. Using the rules in this book, you can create a new character in just a few minutes and be ready to immerse yourself in a setting overrun with deranged cultists, terrifying demons, and bizarre monsters conjured from nightmare. The rule book also includes everything you need to create adventures for the game, includes extensive game mastery and a bestiary packed with foes to fight or flee. Shadow of the Demon Lord is your, potent- is your portal to a world of perilous, maddening adventure. That sounds pretty cool, too. Heck, yeah. And what's funny is, I think a big part of it was, um, I've been playing Pathfinder for, um, man, actually, doing the doing the math right now is, it seems incredibly nuts. Let me think about it for a second, though. Uh, it's We're just coming into 2022. Uh, 2012... It's about 15 years now, I'd say. Um, Let me make sure that's right. Yeah, because Path, I I jumped on it in 2009 when it came out. So just over just over 10 10 to 15 years almost. Um, And it's it's a system that I know intimately well, and truthfully, I have all of the hardcover books now. Right. So because I've got so much content, I'm looking elsewhere for content. Um, and there are game systems where if we can get the same quality game with a rules light system, switching makes absolute sense. Oh, yeah, especially for newer players and whatnot. It'd be easier for them to get a hold of it, and then we can play quicker in that sense. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, so do you happen to have a character spotlight or monster spotlight for us today? That's been our thing lately. Oh, let's see. Uh, this week, I have a monster spotlight. All right. Uh, now, we've talked briefly. Is it the same one that we talked about earlier? Yes, it is. Let me pull it up here. Uh, Amit. Yes. Now, there's there's something funny about the Amit. Before we get too much into it. All right? What's up? All right. So, depending on where you're looking, it can be spelled A-M-M-I-T, A-M-M-U-T, or A-H-E-M-A-I-T. Yes. <laughs> Yes, there, there, uh, there's like three different uh, ways to do it. Yeah, and um, so now that the spelling is complete, we can definitely give it a talk. <laughs> um, well, let's dive into the mythological origin first before we dive into the D&D or Pathfinder stat blocks. I guess you want to call it that. Do, um, do, I get to nerd, do I get to nerd out for a second? Go for it. Uh, it's Egyptian? Yes. And uh, I, I really like this this monster, by the way. It, it's uh, known as the Bower of the Dead. Um, was considered... Uh, it would eat the souls of recently dead. And it's got the... Uh, it, it's, it's got, like, the front half of a lion, the back half of a hippo, and the head of a crocodile. 
That's right. That's right. Um, it's uh, it in his not history in lore. Um, it would be one of those things where, uh, if Anubis judged a person by the weight of its heart, um, if it wasn't pure, the Amit would devour it, and then the person who would be judging would not be allowed to uh, continue on to the afterworld of immortality. Yeah, be considered a second death. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, I really like the monster. I actually first came across it in just a uh, a kid's mythologi- mythology book. Oh, yeah? Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of those uh, pop-up books or something like that. Um, I'm trying to picture a cartoon version of a crocodile head and lion four, forearms and hippo hindquarters. <laughs> it, it, it was really just a... Uh, just a well stylized version, <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't nothing crazy or cartoonish. Um, but yeah, so let's jump into the, uh, again, this is, you're doing this one via Pathfinder, right? Uh, I also pulled up the D and D as well. Okay, cool. So, uh, a little bit of compare and contrast, I guess in Pathfinder, I know that it's about a CR 18. Where is it for D and D? Let's see. It is. ACR 18. Nope. Oh, hold on. Do stupid page. I am not actually seeing the CR here. Hold on a second. This page is poorly formatted. Oh no. I am starting to think this isn't. No, it's from D and D wiki. That's all right. I got I got yeah, him pulled up I, here. For, I don't see a CR on this. That's all right. I got him pulled up for Pathfinder here, and uh, he's he's a large evil. I'm sorry, lawful evil, huge outsider. Um, so we talked about that smite ability, and this from that paladin. This, this is the guy to use it on. Right. Uh, well, it's uh, interesting that he's a huge outsider in Pathfinder. Yeah. Because in in D and D, he's a large fiend. Really now. Now, I don't like that change because, I mean, Fiend would make sense, but really, Outsider uh, seems to fit the mythos a little bit better. I think opinion. so as well, because in my, my understanding, isn't a Fiend um, kind of like a devil as well, not like a demon? Uh, you can kind of consider the Fiends still come from one of the levels of the pits of hell oh okay so i mean still related to the afterworld still uh related to end of life kind of moments but it just seems that an outsider would still uh still fit because outsiders inhabit those realms as it is as well right Um, so looking over this, I mean, we like to talk about some of these huge features that really kind of make it stand out. And as a CR 18, this thing is already pretty beefy. It's got a plus 10 to its initiative. Um, you know, dark visions, whatever, but it's got tremor sense, 60 feet, true seeing. Uh, so not even invisibility can 
cool this character. Uh, it's got a hell of a AC, thirty four AC. I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah I know that this. The D and D version only has an eighteen AC. This is bad. I'm, I'm going to find a different page. This this doesn't sound right. <laughs> I honestly, it sounds like you found for D and D the baby Emmett. Right. Um, yeah, because this this guy is incredible. In fact, it's actually one of the monsters that you have all encountered in the first zero session of my game. Um, and he was actually caged as a failsafe if the evil necromantic soul got out. <laughs> right, uh, right. That way he'd have a soul to eat uh, right there. And it's kind of releasing two evils and hope to God that the, the least, the lesser of two wins. Um, but oh, yeah. yeah. Now we talked about that AC being high. I mean, flat-footed AC is high. Now this is where it comes down to is that it's touch AC is only 14 and boosting up your touch AC is ridiculously difficult as it is. That's true. That's true. So if, it's, it's not if a gunslinger was allowed, then he'd be going down. <laughs> I, that's funny considering that he does like a D six damage per round. <laughs> not, not really going to go down there. Uh, but yeah, honestly, this guy is a beast and looking at him overall, uh, I generally have no problems throwing uh, incredibly high CR creatures at my parties, but even with where my current party is, which are seven level eight characters, um, I wouldn't throw the CR eighteen at them. Yeah, I think I think the stat block for the Pathfinder Ama is super powerful. Absolutely. Um, I looked up the 5e SRD um, version of Amut, and yeah. it's a challenge rating of 9 with a 17 armor class. It's known as a large celestial with a neutral alignment. This is so wrong really? at so many levels. It, it sounds like it. Now, from what I understood as well, is that a lot of, uh, a lot of things in 5e had changed a long time ago where certain things were just not considered evil. In fact, they they really um, got rid of a lot of alignment. Last thing, one of the last things I read. I don't know if that's true or if it's stuck. I'm only now getting into the fifth edition shit. Um, but yeah, honestly, dude, I think this is a really cool monster with a great lore behind it, and I, I think that the benefit of having a lower CR in D and D is the fact that you can kind of see it and play with it a little bit more. Because having a CR 18 against most parties in Pathfinder 1st Edition means that you're either sticking to it for a long time or you uh, you have a pretty high-level party as it is. Right, right. So, yeah. DR 15, good slash. It's immune to disease, exhaustion, fatigue, fire, poison. It's got resistances to acid, cold, and electricity. Spell resistance 29. Like, this thing is hard to get through and based on its mythology it should be it, it definitely should be I, I love this little uh little tidbit of uh appearance flavor text they have for the ama and pathfinder um rule set is uh fire burns inside an amat 
re- resulting in sand coalescing into glass on its face and on the desert floor as it passes through. That, is, I like that, that. sounds so cool. <laughs> I, I like the way that comes across. The one I'm looking at says this massive creature has the head of a crocodile, the mane and torso of a lion, and the hindquarters of a hippopotamus. The wickedly curved claws of the creature's forepaws pale in comparison to the danger of its mighty jaws. That's so cool. It is. And I, I like that. I like the description. It reminds me, uh, one of our players really complimented me on my storytelling styles. And I really appreciated that. That made me feel good. Um, we can talk about that a little bit later, though. Um, I think we should probably wrap up tonight's episode. Uh, we're getting kind of late as it is. Is there anything else that you wanted to throw in there real quick, Potato? Um, No, I, I, I got nothing else in this this empty head of mine. <laughs> uh, that, that's fair enough. We're still both on the road to recovery. So that's everybody right. else, thanks for checking us out. Uh, now, um, epictablegames.com. Check us out on Facebook uh, slash Epic Table Games. Epic Table Games! Until next time, stay in touch on Facebook at Epic Table Games and online at EpicTableGames.com. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Epic Table Games. Yeah, 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 yeah.